So I've got a question for you guys. Does anyone know what this Sunday is called? Wow, that was quick, Danny. I'm going to go to you first. Palm Sunday, well done. Special Sunday. The last Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. Slightly harder question. Does anyone know why it's called Palm Sunday? Josh? Yep, they laid down palm leaves. As Jesus was going into Jerusalem on the donkey, the crowds laid down palm leaves in front of him. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And that was in the reading we had just now, wasn't it? Thanks to Hazel for that reading. The reading was Jesus going into Jerusalem... And the crowds were so excited he was coming. They were shouting and cheering, just like you guys have done so well. I love that. And they, they put their coats down in front of him, put palm branches down, because they were welcoming, welcoming him into Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if any of you think that's a little bit strange. Anyone think it's a bit strange that people should get so excited about welcoming a man into a city? It doesn't seem very normal, does it? It's almost like they're worshipping him. Now, now we, in our day and age, we're very sensible and sophisticated. We would never do that, would we? We'd never see a situation in our day and age where a crowd of people go crazy and cheer and get excited just over one person, over an ordinary person. We'd never see that, would we? No? Can anyone think of where that might happen? Can anyone think of an example of where you might see a crowd of people now cheering, getting excited over just an ordinary person? Yeah, yes. Natalia. <laughs> Bessie? You got for the royals, yeah. So the royals come and the crowds cheer. William and Kate go somewhere and everyone's at the fences trying to see them. Yeah. Susie? Celebrities. Celebrities, yeah. So have got any, any examples? Any people that you can think of? Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. Yeah, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Just, sorry? Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. He gets the crowds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Theo? Ice cream van. Yes. I like that one. Ice cream van. Yeah. Arthur? A music concert. Yeah, you see that at music concerts, don't you? Crowds cheering and going wild. But do you know it feels a bit strange, doesn't it? Oh, go on then, Betty. The winner of the Grand National. Yeah, so sporting people. Yeah, I was, no one said football. Crowds cheering when a football player comes trying to get their autograph. But the funny thing is, these people are all humans, aren't they? Yet crowds go crazy. The thing they have in common... When people get excited about someone, they almost to the state of worshipping them, is that person they're excited about is, is special in some way. They're, either they're very good at what they do, they're either a very good sports player, a very good singer, they're very, or they're very important, they're a powerful leader. They're special in some way, and that's why people get excited. So it might seem strange to us that the crowds are doing this for Jesus. Actually, it's not that strange because it's the same for Jesus. The reason people got so excited on that Palm Sunday and threw their coats in front of him and threw their palm branches down is because Jesus was someone special. There was something about Jesus, something about him that made people want to follow him and made people want to worship him. So the question we're going to ask and the question we're going to answer today is why? Why did people worship Jesus? That's our question. Why do people worship Jesus? And what we're going to do is look at four stories from the Bible over the last week of Jesus' life that help us answer that question. Four reasons that Jesus is great and four reasons that people worshipped him then and reasons people worship him today. Part one. All right. Thanks, Yarrow, for that reading. So that was Jesus cleansing the temple from Mark chapter 11. Who guessed that was the one that goes, went with our sound of breaking furniture? So Jesus went into the temple 
And he was so angry that he threw out the money changers, turned over the temples and made a big mess. Now, is anything surprising to you about that story? Anything surprising? Because we're told, aren't we, that getting angry is wrong. If you have maybe a little brother or sister or a child or a grandchild and they have a temper tantrum, you don't go to them and say, well done, that was great, have a sweet and try again, do better next time, do you? No, losing our temper, not only kids but adults as well, when we lose our temper, that's not a good thing, is it? We're told that's wrong. So, but isn't Jesus meant to be perfect? So how come Jesus is angry? Seems a bit strange. It's one of those things where when you grow up from being a child, you grow into being an adult, you, you realise the world's a little bit more complicated than you were told when you were young. So almost all anger is wrong. But there is one particular kind of anger that's actually right. Okay, and when you grow up older, you'll realise that. One particular type of anger that's right, and that is the anger that's directed against things in the world that are wrong or evil. So, at the moment, for instance, there's a war happening in Ukraine. And people are having to leave their homes. Lots of innocent people are being killed. People are being killed on both sides. It's really, really wrong. And it's evil that that's happening in the world. And it's right to be angry when bad things, wrong things happen in the world. When people suffer innocently. And that's what's happening in our passage here. So there's something wrong in the verses we just read. When Jesus goes into the temple, he finds something wrong. Because, let me explain, the temple was meant to be a place where everyone could come and worship God freely. Where everyone could come and worship God. But at Jesus' time, the people in charge of the temple were making money out of selling animals for people to sacrifice and charging people to change money into different coins they could spend in the temple. So the people in charge were making it difficult for people to come and freely worship God. And Jesus goes into the temple and he sees that happening and he sees that's wrong. It's not just wrong, it's evil. Because God invites everyone to come and worship him. The temple's meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's not happening and that's wrong. And Jesus is passionate about everyone having the chance to worship God. Everyone. And that's why he gets angry. He wants everyone to have the chance to worship, no matter how rich or no matter how poor. And that's actually a really good thing, that Jesus gets angry when he sees that happening, because it's wrong. And look, maybe you feel excluded. Maybe you feel on the outside of things. Maybe you look different to other people around you. Maybe you sound different to other people around you. Maybe you're from a different background. And you feel like, in this group of people, I don't fit in. I stand out. Maybe you feel excluded. Well, Jesus is on your side. Jesus is on your side because he's passionate about everyone, including you, wherever you come from, whoever you are, having the chance to know God, just as much as anyone else. So, who can remember our question that we're answering? Who can remember our question? What's our question? Why do people worship Jesus? Can everyone say that question with me? Why do people worship Jesus? And here's our first answer to that question. Jesus is on the side of the excluded. Isn't that great? That's the reason people love him. That's one reason people worship him. Part two. Thanks, Luke. So that reading was Jesus being anointed at Bethany from Mark chapter 14. So Jesus is having a meal with some friends. It's a very ordinary occasion, but then a woman comes in and does something which is definitely not ordinary. She does something shocking. 
She takes this jar of perfume, breaks it, and pours the whole thing over Jesus' head. Now, the text tells us that this perfume was worth about 300 denarii. So we don't know what that means in our language, but it's about the equivalent of a year's wages. It's a lot of money. So I looked at what's the average wage in the UK. At the moment, roughly £30,000. So imagine buying a jar of perfume for £30,000. That's a lot of money. This might have been the woman's whole life savings. And breaking it and pouring the whole thing out in one go. Glug, 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 glug. Can you imagine that? Such an extravagant thing to do. No wonder some people around her were cross. Because they would have said, why is she doing that? That perfume could have been sold and the money could have been used for so many good things, given to the poor. What's she doing? But if what the woman did was surprising, Jesus' response, I think, is even more surprising. Because he says, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She's done a beautiful thing. He defends her. He says, she's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now that needs a bit of explanation. Doesn't it? What does that mean? In those days when Jesus was alive, when someone died, they were buried very soon. Before they were buried and wrapped in grave clothes, their body was washed and anointed with oil. That was the way they did it. So if someone was very rich or important, the perfume that was used for anointing them would have been very expensive as a way of honouring them. And this woman, she's a follower of Jesus. So she would have known he was going to die and soon from listening to his teaching... And she doesn't want to wait till he's died and, and is going to be buried to, to honour him. She wants to do it now, publicly, so she does. In this way that's incredibly extravagant and costly. It's amazing. But the people around her didn't get it. And they, they touched it and they wagged their fingers and they said, no, they criticised her. They even mocked her. They said, no, she shouldn't be doing that. What's she doing? She's crazy. Now, if you've been living in this uh, country for the last two weeks and consuming any media of any kind, you'll be familiar with this picture behind me. Recognise this picture? Seen this before? (laughs) Yes. So this happened two weeks ago at the Oscars ceremony. A comedian called Chris Rock was uh, introducing an award and he made a joke about um, Will Smith's wife, an actor, Will Smith. It was an unkind joke. Um, It was a joke about a medical condition she's got that she's, she's been honest about and been vulnerable about. And Will Smith was angry. So he got up on the stage and he slapped Chris Rock. Um, if you haven't seen that already, then, um, yeah, where have you been? <laughs> um, so my first reaction when I saw this clip, um, after I'd picked my jaw up off the floor and thought, what a stupid thing to do, was there's something in it, there's something that motivated him to do that, which I think is good. He had a desire to defend and protect the honour of someone he loved. Isn't that a good thing? It's just that he expressed it in a way which was not very appropriate, wrong, violent, and a bit stupid. Um, he, was, he, was, he was rash, and I think if he reflected on it, he wouldn't have done it again. But there's something behind it, isn't there? I think that we all feel. When someone we love gets mocked or criticised or dishonoured, we want to defend them and protect them. That's a good thing. That's, you could even say it's a noble thing, a noble desire, just expressed in that case in the wrong way. But I think Jesus here shows us how it's done. He gives a masterclass in how to defend the honour of someone who is being mocked. Because this woman, she'd made herself vulnerable before a group of people. She'd poured out this perfume. She'd made the extravagant act of, of, of worship. And she's being criticised. People are wagging their fingers. And Jesus stands up and he says, leave her alone. He stands by her. He defends her and he protects her. He says, if you want to put her down, you're going to have to deal with me too. Isn't that great? Jesus shows us how to do it. 
And maybe, maybe you feel a bit like the woman. Maybe you love Jesus, and maybe you've spoken out for him. You've expressed your love for him in some way publicly. Whether that's in school, you've stuck your hand up in a lesson, you've, you've been honest about your faith in Jesus, maybe it's in a workplace conversation, you've disagreed with someone that shows you've nailed your colours to the mask, this is where I stand. Maybe you shared something on social media that shows, yeah, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I love him and I follow him. Maybe you've done those things and you've been criticised for it, and people have mocked you, people have wagged their fingers. Well, you need to know Jesus stands with you. Jesus sees you, and he defends you. Um, that's going to be in public, if not now, then on the final day, that will be in public, his defense of you. And that's the second reason that people worship Jesus. That's the second reason Jesus is so great. He stands up for people who are dishonored. Isn't that great? He stands up for people who are dishonored. Part three. All right, thanks Susie for reading. So that was the, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas from Mark chapter 14. So we're now getting nearer to the time of Jesus' death, and I think... This is one of the hardest things that Jesus would have had to go through. So I don't know if you noticed in our text, when it talked about Judas, it mentioned he was one of the twelve at the start of the text and at the end of the text. It's making the point Judas was one of the twelve. That's significant because the twelve were Jesus' specially chosen group of people. They were the ones he chose to be his inner circle, the ones he was mentoring to, to take on the reins. And they shared life. They went through ups and downs together. They'd been vulnerable with each other. They'd forged these incredibly close friendships and close bonds with each other. And then Judas, one of the twelve, goes and betrays Jesus. He accepts money from the chief priest to tell them how to arrest him. He betrays Jesus to his enemies. Now, when we hear the name Judas, what do you think of when you hear the name Judas? Good things or bad things? The name Judas. We think bad. We hear Judas, we think bad. Because we know the ending of the story. So whenever he comes up, we think, oh, he's the bad guy, boo, hiss. But the disciples, the rest of the twelve, wouldn't have thought that. He was one of them. For three years, he was one of them. And then he went and betrayed Jesus. Now, betraying, being betrayed by someone is hard at the best of times. But when it's one of your very closest friends, that really hurts. The amazing thing is, Jesus knew that was going to happen. In the text, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. He knows it's going to happen. And still he eats with Judas. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't throw Judas out. He, he welcomes him to eat with him. Right up until the last minute. Jesus welcomes Judas. Even though he knows he's going to betray him. Now I think you can get the measure of a person's character. By how they treat their enemies. When they have them at their mercy. Right? You get the measure of someone's character. By how they treat their enemies. When they have them at their mercy. So you see this in films all the time. If a filmmaker wants to show a a hero as having noble character. He'll put them in a scene where they have their enemy at their mercy. And they they let them go. So the the example on the screen behind me. Beauty and the Beast. Anyone seen Beauty and the Beast? Famous scene. The Beast is holding Gaston over the precipice. Is Is it enemy? He could let him go and destroy him. But the Beast is a noble person. He's got good character. So he lets him go. lets him go free. See that all the time in films. Jesus could have wiped Judas out. At the very least, he could have excluded him from his friendship group, knowing what was going to happen, knowing he was his enemy. But he doesn't. The measure of his character is shown by how he treats his enemies. And he welcomes Judas. He continues to welcome him and extend friendship to him right up to the moment before he betrays him. It's amazing. So that's our third reason. 
Our third reason that Jesus is worship, why he's worthy of our worship, is that he shows mercy even to his enemies. Part four. All right. Thank you, Mary, for that reading. So that was the Last Supper. The Last Supper from Mark chapter 14. So we're now really close to the point of death. This is the last thing, really, that Jesus does with his disciples before he's arrested and goes to his trial. And he knows it's coming. He knows he's going to die. And he knows how he's going to die. He knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows that his body's going to be broken and his blood's going to be poured out. So what he decides to do is to use some bread and some wine as a visual aid, as pictures of what's going to happen to him. And just imagine, here we have some bread and some juice. Just imagine if you were a disciple and you were at that meal. Just imagine, he says, this is my body, this bread is like a picture of what's going to happen to my body. And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it in two. And then he gives it to them. Imagine, what would you be thinking? And then he says, this wine is like a picture of my blood. And here's what's going to happen to me. And then he pours out the wine. And he says, my blood's going to be poured out. And then he gives it to them. Can you imagine? If you were a disciple and you were there, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. And in some way, it's going to be for me. He's giving that bread, he's giving that wine to me to eat and drink. Now, I don't think the disciples would have fully understood what it meant at the time. But I think when they look back on it, in years to come, they would have realised. They'd have realised, oh, the way in which his death is for me is that he was dying in my place. Jesus was dying for my sin. He's dying the death that my sin deserved. Wow! They'd have been overwhelmed. And I think, actually, the disciples looking back on that in years to come would have found it even harder because they would have known what happened next. And what happened next was they all left him. Do you hear that on our reading? Jesus knew that was going to happen as well. He said, the very next thing he said after he gave them the bread and the, and the wine was, you will all fall away. You're all going to leave me. He knew that as soon as he was arrested, all of his disciples would flee. They'd depart. They'd, they'd just run away. They'd leave him on his own. He knew it was going to happen. In his hour of need, every single one of his closest friends was going to leave him. He knew it would happen, but it's still hard to take. It must have been really hard to take. But here's the thing. I think all of Jesus' followers, all of us are like that at some point. All of us have times when we're fearful. All of us have times when we we duck out of things. There's a challenging uh, situation ahead and we pull back. We take the easy route. We let him down. I know I do. I know I feel like I let Jesus down all the time. Don't know if you can relate to that. Well, guess what Jesus did for his disciples who'd left him? He went ahead and gave his life for them. Isn't that amazing? And guess what Jesus does for you? If you're a weak and fearful follower of him, guess what he did? He gave his life for you as well. And that's our last reason. Our last reason why Jesus is so worthy of our worship. The reason is because he gave his life for people who fail him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus gave his life for people like us who let him down all the time. There's just there's something about Jesus, isn't there, that makes, him, makes people want to follow him? He's a God who, who loves. He's a God who gives, who stands up for his people, who's there, who gave his life for them. 
And that's why people loved and worshipped him back then. And that's why people love and worship him now. That's why we love and worship him. And that's why our hope and prayer is that you will love and worship him this Easter. So that's our last question. The last thing to think about as, I, as we head off into our final song. The last question is, how will you respond to Jesus this Easter? Will you be like those crowds who welcomed him into Jerusalem? Will you see who he is? Will you love and worship him? Because there's one thing for sure. The crowds could cheer about other people, but Jesus, he's the only one who is truly worthy of our worship.